Hey, everybody, it's Paula. Welcome back to Journeys of Faith. So you may have already surmised this about me, but I had a weird childhood. It was pretty strict. I wasn't going to Backstreet Boys concerts or NSYNC concerts, though I wish I was. I was going to DC Talk, Amy Grant, and Michael W. Smith concerts. And that leads me to this week's guest, and that would be Michael W. Smith. He is a critically acclaimed singer-songwriter. He's won three Grammys, 45 Dove Awards, an American Music Award. He's also super tight with the Bush family and performed his hit song Friends at George H.W. Bush's funeral. That was a personal request from H.W. Friends is just one of his many hit songs. And the backstory about how that song came to be is insane. We're going to dig in. Michael also reveals to me that he has dealt with depression. He tells me about a moment early in his career that he just snorted something and thought his life was over. He recalls crying out to God, don't let me die. In this episode, I hope you get a feel for the fact that just because you're a leader, it doesn't mean that you're immune to your own struggles. So here's Michael W. Smith on this week's episode of Journeys of Faith. And did I mention that he was at my wedding? Listen, and you'll find out how. So here we are, just yes. outside of Nashville, Tennessee, in the recording studio of Michael W. Smith. Yes, this welcome. Is pretty cool. So we're sitting in your dining room, and in your studio, just to give people a little bit of color commentary, it's a pre-Civil War home. Yes. And this particular room we're sitting in, there's a huge portrait of some general from some war, and we're not sure who it is. We're not sure who he is, which but, is a little scary. But know? he remains on the wall, right? <laughs> he's still there for the last six years. He's been on the wall. So. Yeah, it, this is great. I feel like I'm just kind of walking back through my past. I mean, just seeing all these photos of you. I grew up on you and Amy Grant and Petra and DC Talk. And, yeah. uh, you know, a lot of kids were going to see, you know, New Kids on the Block and Backstreet Boys. And that was, my world was... Wow. Going to Christian concerts. But just taking a look around the studio, you have pictures with so many former presidents, Barack Obama, HWW. You've had a a very affectionate relationship with the Bush family. How did it all start? It started in 1989 when I got invited to Christmas in Washington, which was an NBC Christmas special. Uh, Sorry, it's ABC. That's okay. NBC Christmas special. That's all right. And uh, and I'm, I remember watching it, and Amy had done it a couple of years before, and I just released my first Christmas album. And I would, would tell my management, going, Man, all I want to do is I want to do Christmas in Washington. That would mm-hmm. make my day. And I didn't know that I even was being pitched, but whatever. I got a call and said, you've been invited to be on Christmas in Washington. It was me, Olivia Newton-John, no Vic way. Damone, Diane Carroll, James Galway. It's just, I couldn't believe it. So we met before the show. We met the president, Mrs. Bush, took the picture, did the whole, you know, the deal. And then they were on the front row. And uh, I remember it was one of the only times I was kind of nervous. You know? Really? I was, I was shaking just a little bit. And then after the show, long story short, I have a Secret Service guy and the president of NBC come up to me and says, the president, Mrs. Bush, would have invited you and your wife to the White House. Can you come with us now? And so we got in a car. and You said, we, absolutely. Yeah, well, I said, well, yeah. And we ran every red, the, 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 this car ran every red light, and we pulled up in front of the White House and going, oh, my gosh, what is happening? <laughs> and then here I am standing in a corner with all these toys on the ground from the grandkids. It was me and the president of NBC. Mrs. Bush in the other room is telling funny stories, being – who she is. Right. And uh, 
I ended up leading Christmas carols in the East Room on that huge ornate Steinway grand piano, and then he just started sending me notes. Really? Yeah. And what kind of notes? Like, uh, let me know when you're back in D.C. You need to come visit. And I'm going. This is the leader of the free world. He, I think he has a few more important things to do. So I took him up on it, and I just right. I responded, "Hey, I'm coming to D.C." And all of a sudden. It was the one of many, 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 many visits. I would just go. We'd hang out and talk. And mm-hmm. then he started inviting us to Kenny Bunkport and to Camp David. And we really became friends. And then we took many vacations together to Greece. And that those are the vacations that there'll never be anything that will measure up to that. That was just completely off the chart. Yeah. yeah. I've heard Greece is a really special place. Oh, we went to Wine Island. There was no cars. Really? It was just mules and donkeys. And I mean, it was just incredible. Yeah. Just getting back to it. Yeah. But let's let's just rewind and, and hear a little bit more specifically about your faith journey. And I, I know you grew up in West Virginia, correct? Mm-hmm. And then teenage years, you decide to move to Nashville to pursue a career. Yes. And you fell flat on your face in terms of a few times. Yeah. <laughs> but you weren't the the you know I, I always had this picture of you in my head that you were this squeaky clean clean cut you know. Christian boy that never made a mistake in his life, but you, you mean you had a nervous breakdown. Things got really, really dark for you for a while. Yeah. What was, was going on? It was. I was just spiraling out of control. You know. I mean, I just, um, you know, I believe in the enemy, and I believe his number one goal is to take you down. And mm-hmm. I thought I could play with the fire, and not get burned. I got deceived. I started hanging out with the wrong people, and that was back in West Virginia. And then in the middle of that dark time is when I moved to Nashville, you know, and, you know, I played an after hours bar. I ended up living with a drug dealer, which I didn't realize I was doing. And then I, I, I did a drug one night after a gig and then I almost lost my life, almost died. Really? Uh, yeah. I mean, I, I snorted something that was, you should never even snort okay. in the first place, but to snort a large amount. And both sides of your both you're 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 bleeding out of both sides of your nose. Oh wow! And your head spinning, and so it took two days to. It took two days for me to really come back to life. And I remember praying in my slurred language, driving this guy was driving me back to my apartment in East Nashville. I'm going, "Go, God, don't let me die! Don't let me die!" And it was after that incident that I realized that I knew that God had a call in my life, and I knew there was a destiny on my life. And I knew that if something didn't change, I was going to die. Mm. And so I just began to pray that God would do whatever he had to do to get my attention, break my legs, car wreck, just don't kill me. Just do something to like... How did he get your attention? I became depressed, mm. you know, which is not my personality. I've always been, hey, what, I, you know, I'm for you and let's mm-hmm. do this thing. There's always well, a smile on your yeah, face. Yeah, let's go and... And I think it was not only my prayers, but I do believe it was the prayers of my mom and dad because they knew on some level that I was in trouble. And so I knew that they were on their knees every day praying for me. Mm. And so it was November 79 that I hit rock bottom. And um, that's when I had my – I never went to the doctor. I just – you know, I convulsed and shook on my kitchen floor for three hours and wept and wept and wept and cried. And, and then – that last hour, I just felt like the God of the universe came laid out, laid down on the floor beside me. Wow. And I haven't been the same since. So you're laying yeah. on the floor. You said you were convulsing. Yeah. Just shaking. Yeah. Weeping. Yeah. God came to you in that moment. You think, mm-hmm. laid down with you. 
Yeah, I was tempted. So God, I need a, I need a, you know, I'm I'm tempted. But so I said, God, what was that? I kept saying, what was that last night? I kept driving in my car, going, what just happened to me last night? It's almost like it was, a switch flipped. It was like, whoa! You don't make that stuff up, you know. And it's crazy is that that day I went into my publishing company. Here I'm trying to write songs about Jesus and I'm partying, and it's just, it's just all those songs were awful, you know. So you and were, I was, so you were writing. You were actively pursuing trying to write, this yeah, while living this other yeah, lifestyle, and it was just a disaster. And you know? of course you're. Not getting the words, are yeah, you? Yeah, I'm a mess. Yeah, yeah. But I went in to talk to my publisher. I just felt compelled. I, I would go in there anyway almost every day, but I felt like I was – I just that day I felt compelled to go in really straight from my apartment when I sort of got up and got moving. And it was Randy Cox, and he saw me. He says, See, would you come into my office? I need to ask you something. And I thought, well, that's kind of odd. And I went in. And he said, there's this gospel group called Higher Ground, and they're looking for a piano player. <laughs> and he starts telling me about this group. I go, I'll take the job. And he's going, oh, wait, wait, no, I, let me finish telling you about it. I said, I don't need to know about it. I'll take the job. And that was my rescue because that's what I prayed to God. I, I'm like, I, I'm tempted. You needed an out. I needed an out. And then I joined that group like weeks later. And those guys just kind of nurtured me back to health, you know, just being in a safe environment with people of like mind who love God. Mm-hmm. And and that was the beginning of my healing. Did they know everything that you'd been struggling with? Not everything. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm not sure everybody knows everything, but mm-hmm. they knew on some level, yes, that I was had come out of a deep, deep place of just confusion and depression and... But they, but they saw something in me um, that lit them up and thought, you know what, we, we're going to take this kid under our wing, and mm-hmm. I'm so glad they did. Where do you think you would be if you didn't go through that? Well, I might not be alive, which is the scary part, you right. know. Um, so I'm grateful, you know. I could, you know, always look at myself and what I'm doing, and I— you know, I could be in the gutter. You know, I pass these homeless guys all the time. It breaks my heart, and I'm trying to. I go down the Titans camp to work out, and I'm, you know, I'm handing out money, and I go away, and just going, "Is that enough?" And you know, and and, and I also think I could have been that guy. Mm. I could have been that guy selling newspapers. You know. So, if I were to ask you, what is it that you believe, Michael W. Smith? What do you believe? Yeah, I believe Jesus really is who he said he was. And that he deeply loves people, and throughout all scripture, all these promises of God and and the prodigal son story and all that stuff that portrays the heart of God and what he's like mm-hmm. and he's good and he's kind, you know, I tell a story a lot about every night I talk about my dad, my dad went to heaven in November of fifteen. Mm-hmm. He was the kindest man. That I'd never known in my entire life who had to be my dad. But I always say this, which I think startles people, when I say my dad taught me a little bit what God's like. He wasn't perfect, but I just saw very few imperfections because he just was so, so positive, and he was for me my whole life. Even in my four years of like stuff. Even when you were at your worst. My worst, he still loved me. He was probably at his best when you were at your worst because yeah. you saw that unconditional love. He just loved me. He never judged me. He, he never, never kicked, said anything to never you, like, me son, you're I remember, acting like an idiot. I remember one time on the porch. I remember one time on the porch. I'd come in to 
to see them and get some money. I was always broke back then. And he, I just remember because that generation, you know, they just have, they have a hard time initiating conversation about hard things, you know, mm-hmm. at least maybe not across the board, but with my dad. And I just remember he just said, "Son, says you're gonna have to you're gonna have to quit doing this stuff." I just remember he said that, but he said it in a kind way. He didn't say it in a judgmental way. He said it he, he said it in a way that I felt like when he said it, it broke his heart that he had to say it. Mm. Yeah. And I said, I, and all I could say is, I know, Dad. Yeah, I know. Those lows that you go through in the highs for for me, and I, I, I know my, my my faith has kind of been the glue mm-hmm. and kept me together in those moments. And I found out what my faith was about, and I found out what I was about in those lows. Did those lows ever come back for you? I never hit rock bottom like that. Uh, I had one more bout of depression in '95. Which inspired I'll Lead You Home. Wait, in 95, you were... I was back in records. You were in records. I mean, you're kind of at the top of your game at that point. And it was. It was in the peak of like, man, these, I mean, the awards and things are taking off and we're having children and we've got five kids and and, I just hit this funk. It was just the weirdest thing and I couldn't snap out of it. And I just got there going, God, why am I feeling this way? Why do I feel lost? I feel just lost. And I really don't know what triggered it. I just kind of went through this valley. And I'm like, I'm good for the valleys. You don't ever grow unless you go through the valley. Totally. But I don't like to stay in the valley for more than a week or two. You know, we all kind of like, and it's, you know, you go through those cycles. Well, this this one lasted forever. And, just, and it was like six months. And so whatever, I remember waking up and getting in my car like at 3.30 or 4 in the morning, which I never do. And I drove to my studio in Franklin, and I began to write a song, I'll Lead You Home. Mm-hmm. And and then uh, the depression lifted, and then, and I really haven't really been depressed since then. Yeah. I mean, I, we've gone through tough stuff and losing loved ones and, you know, my dad and you know my wife's best friend, Carol Ann, who was the first wife of Bill Lee, you know, a horseback riding accident and four kids and – yeah, for those the, for those that don't know what happened, what happened? She was with her youngest girl, um, and um, just on a horse. And we really don't know what happened. We just know the horse bucked them off somehow, and she hit her head. And Sarah Kate was coming down the hill, and Bill was just come home from work from the lead company and saw her running, and then mm-hmm. got on the four wheeler and went up and saw her, and they'd life fired her to Vanderbilt and. We held held vigil for five days, and we broke all the rules at Vanderbilt. I took a keyboard in there and <laughs> played over, and we prayed and prayed and prayed, and then God had something different in mind, you know. So Those, that was t- that was that was because because Bill was in our prayer has been in our prayer group for like almost thirty years. So there's right. like five, six, seven couples that have just been like glued at the hip, you yeah. know. So, but things like that. But hey, that we all go through stuff like that. But that was. But how do you get, how do you get through? I, people ask me why does why does a good God let things like that happen? Let bad things happen to people? I don't know. I and, just I have no idea. It's been happening since the beginning of time. Mm-hmm. You know, you look at Job. I mean, wow! I think I would have like flipped out. Well, then he was blessed. <laughs> I know. Blessed twofold yeah. in the very end. But to lose your family and lose your kids, it's just like whoa. Yeah, yeah. You know, so. You know, I don't know. I just I, I know that there's good and evil, and but I I believe at the end of the day um, that it reminds me of the song "Sovereign Over Us," which I love that song. It said, "Even what the enemy means for evil, he turns it for the good." Yeah. And even in the valley, 
he's working it for your good. Right. You might not get it at the moment, mm-hmm. you know, but you just you just trust. You you let faith rise up, and you're going. I don't, God, I don't get it, and I think it's okay to express to God, I don't get it, but I'm going to trust you in the midst of your sovereignty. Sure, you've gone through quite a bit, and and you have quite a story beyond your prolific music career. How do you think your faith has changed over the years? I think I've matured. You know, I think my I think I have a lot more faith than I did. Um, I don't question God like I used to question Him. Is there Baby. anything wrong with questioning God? No, I don't think there is. Yeah. I think God loves honesty and He loves just vulnerability and just... I mean, look at David. That's what I love about the Psalms. I mean, David is so brutally honest. I mean, one time he's going, we praise you, oh God. He's He feel like he's just <laughs> on the mountaintop and then all of a sudden, boom... Why have you forsaken me? And he's just yeah, yeah. Ah, this agony, and then all of a sudden the triumph and agony, and I, I love that. And I think, I think God listens to people like that, and yeah. so I think it's okay to express your feelings. You think were there ever any, any moments for you where you really questioned your faith? Just like, why do I believe this? No, I th- no, I go through moments where you know they don't last very long, mm-hmm. but I, I'll I'll go through a moment going. Am I just misreading all of this? Mm-hmm. Am I just believing this because it's the way I was raised and I've sort sure. of believed in this sort of lifestyle? I mean, those little things kind of come in and and rattle your cage and your mind for just a little bit. But it usually doesn't last very long because I just sort of go on, yeah, but I know what the truth is. Yeah. And th- this is truth. What I believe is truth. Mm-hmm. I know it beyond a shadow of a doubt. I bet my life on it. Doesn't mean that you won't have doubts and question. Like doesn't mean at all. You you know you you talked about those really dark moments and depression, which came back. I have depression runs rampant in my family, and I know that there's this sentiment in the especially the Christian world that in the Christian world that if you're a Christian, why why would you be depressed? Yeah. Yeah, there's nothing to be depressed about. Well, I think it's really really important to surround yourself with people. I mean that is a big thing. Who's your family? You know, yeah. I'm not talking about just your immediate family, but who's your who's your spiritual family? Who's your tribe? And to just to be able to like, you've got to have people in your life. You just have to, you know, to share the burdens. That's what Scripture says: share your burdens with one another, so that you can be healed. Mm-hmm. If you're a lone ranger, you're in big trouble. If you think you're going to get through it all by yourself, you're in big trouble. Yeah, because you're you're going to fall off the cliff at some point, and you don't want to do that. Why well, take the risk in doing that? Right. You know, I have to fight for that. I'm although we have this group sometimes. You know, I think the this this um, I think every man especially deals with it because we are wired to going. Oh, I can take care of this. Mm-hmm. I can fix this. And uh, that's not true. So though, I have to really make myself. When I'm really struggling, and I should have called my pastor five days ago, you know, I just call and say, I just need to tell you, I'm struggling with this issue, and or I'm, I'm struggling with my anger, you know, because, you know, my daughter's husband left her for another woman, you know, and those kind of things that's happened in my family, you know, and so I just... I have that to happened in a, your family? Yeah, it's awful. It's awful. Wait, your daughter's husband? My fourth. 
My fourth oldest, yeah. How'd you guys get through that? We're still getting through it. Mm. Oh, her faith is just unbelievable. She just, it's just unbelievable. It's, it's caused all of us to rise up because she's, her grace and her forgiveness and compassion for him is unwavering on some level. It's pretty unbelievable. Most people would have, most people would have walked a long time ago. Oh yeah, for sure. And I imagine you have these, this duality of your personality. You have, you know, your father, but you're also your protector. Yeah, but you're also, but you're also a believer. I know. So how do those? I know. No, it's hard. It's been tough. I mean, I've, I've, you know, I was so angry and. And then you know you the pendulum, you this anger, compassion, anger, compassion. You know you get angry when you watch what she's having to do all by herself. You know, and then you realize that you have compassion on somebody who's just lost their way. You know, and so I've, I'm pretty much on this end. Have been here for a long, long time. How do you how do you forgive someone that does that to your child? You do because you've been forgiven. Because really, at the end of the day, on some level, I'm guilty as everybody else. You know, we've all made mistakes. After this break, Michael tells us the crazy story about how that hit song Friends came to be and how he balances faith with career. Three Grammys. You've recorded 32 n- number one hit songs, 45 Dev Awards, published over 14 books, sold more than 15 million albums. You're good friends with Bono. Is that true? Well, I think I'm pretty – I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty good friends. I, we, I mean, we're not like – we don't live next to each other, you know. We we communicate a lot. You can name drop a little bit. It's okay no, here. No, no. We, we, I saw a picture of the two of you on the wall. Yeah. I was no, snooping we, earlier. We, uh, <laughs> we met through the One campaign. We met through – um, we actually met at a at a function that he came to a long, long time ago, and I think really we became friends because he wanted to get to know me because I knew President Bush. I and gotcha. He, that was a connect with him. I've joked. You were the middleman. I, I was the middle guy. I've, uh-huh. j- I've joked with him about that in the past because he wanted to get to Bush because we have an AIDS crisis, we have an epidemic, and we have the ability to fix this on some level and that's and then obviously and i don't know if i had much to do with it obviously i I did talk to bush about bono but bono was going to see the president anyway and so because of that yes we became friends because Mm -hmm. of that you know and um you know and i've we've been in the studio together we've you know i've been in his home in dublin and he's been in my home here and we stay in touch but we I think what really is, yeah, we love music, and I think, and I love what he does with his platform, and you know, he is a rock star. But I, but but if you really sit down one on one with him, he just wants to change the world, make it better. Yeah, he does. You know, and so, and I think he, he has some admiration for me as well. We just have a, that's what we have in common is that we care for the poor, and uh, and also the music thing is on. That's a second. Yes, exactly. Yeah. That's also a nice common denominator. Um, you were a big part of my wedding. I was? <laughs> Sounds a little... Don't get the wrong idea, man. But <laughs> my husband and I, we were married September okay. 23rd, 2000. So married 18 years. And we danced 
to Love of My Life. Wow. Which you collaborated with Jim Brickman. Yes. And so every time I hear that song, I literally, I think I listened to it on repeat probably 15 times before doing this interview. That's awesome. But you had several crossover songs, Place in This World. What year was that? Mm-hmm. 1990? 90 or 91. Mm-hmm. Numbers, it peaked at number six on the Billboard. But yeah. is there one song, is there one that you're most proud of or that you poured more of yourself into or just has a special significance well there's probably several um you know my favorite song i've written is all as well which is on my first christmas album Mm -hmm. it's also on my last christmas album i re-recorded it with carrie underwood nice so it's probably my i don't know what, what it is about the song it um I'll never forget when I wrote it. I'll mm-hmm. never forget how I felt when I wrote it. And I think I'll be singing it for the rest of my life. You know, everybody wants me to say friends. Everybody, <laughs> yeah, friends. I know. Do you ever get sick of hearing that song? Because it's kind of just like that quintessential song, but sometimes like the most popular songs in your yeah. repertoire are the ones that you're like, okay, yeah. that not as much of a, of a special meaning. No, it, it is special. I mean, it, it was special how he wrote it for a friend leaving town, and it was written fast. And it was really it was written fast. It was written really fast. What is really fast? Um, I wrote the music in three and a half minutes. What? And then Deb wrote the lyric in thirty minutes. So you're kidding. Yeah, we were we were we were having this last Bible study at our house. This is before I even cut a record. You know, I'm. I think I just started touring with Amy Grant in the spring of 82 and as musical director. So I hadn't even had a record deal. And this guy named Bill Jackson's leaving town. It's his last Bible study, and we're all really close. And it's Sunday afternoon, our last big, we're going to have a party for him. We're going to cook out, the whole deal. And then Deb says, I think we need to do something for Bill. And I said, it's great. Let's get him a gift. And she said, we should write him a song. That's a great idea. We'll we'll work on a song. And she said, "What if we wrote it today?" <laughs> and and I remember just and I thought she was kidding. And I, right. and I just said, "That's that's like that's impossible. I mean, we can't do that." And I just kind of blew it off. I'm outside. And we had this big garden. I'm out there with the dog, and and Debbie just disappeared. She's gone. She's gone back in the house. She walks out thirty minutes later and hands me a piece of paper, which is that paper hanging on the wall. And they're the original. I haven't seen it. Yeah, it's friends with it's the, the lyrics yeah, on it. Yeah. You're kidding me. I've got to get Not one lyric, not one thing. And she showed it to me. Not one lyric changed. She showed it to me. I went, I thought. And then I walked into the house and sat down at this little spinet piano that we had. And I wrote the music. And we sang it for Bill. We sang it for Bill that night. Everybody cried. Yeah. You know? and, and, then I, and then I woke up. I, I woke up and I woke up the next day and I went, I like this song a lot. You know, it's like, I, th- I think I like this song. Yeah. And then I remember going in. To my managers, Mike Blanton and Dan Harrell, and I said, I got this song for Amy Grant. And we'd all, at that point, was talking, trying to get me a record deal, you know, which nobody would give me a record deal. And I remember I played the song for them. They all loved it. Got in this elevator. It was me and Mike Blanton. And I said, well, so what do you think about Friends for Amy? And he said, you know what? He says, Amy doesn't need to cut this song. I said, you do. And I went, okay. And she sang the harmony with me on yeah, that first did. cut, you know. So, yeah, little did I know that I'd be singing it for the rest of my life. <laughs> that yeah. three and a half minutes. But you know you what? It. it doesn't get old because you you look out into the audience, you watch people start holding hands, you watch totally. people crying. Yes. 
And you go, oh my gosh, this song has been the part of the fabric of these people's lives. And so why would I ever, why would I ever stop singing the song? Yeah, for sure. I know that was the song that we played at my high school graduation course. Graduations, funerals. Uh Oh my word. So So I want to ask you, if you were to sum up in a word or two, what your faith means to you or how do you describe your faith in a word or two? What would you say? Gosh. Um, just being like Jesus, really. Mm-hmm. I mean, he he never judged anybody. <laughs> he hung out with people that most church people wouldn't hang out with. It's true. And he was forgiving people every day. And... He he hung out with a bunch of ragamuffins, you know, and just the compassion that he had on people, you know, I want to be like that. Where do you think you'd be without your faith? I'm really not sure. I think I'd be a very unhappy man. Because, you know, what? I think I would be trying to fill the gap, you know, um, you know, I think if I sold a million records on this record, I'd have to sell five million on the next, and then I'd have to sell ten million on the next, and I'd keep trying to climb that ladder. And it's just a never-ending, just awful way to do life. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, I would, uh, I would be. I think I would look a lot older. Um, I think I would have a lot more wrinkles and. And I think there would be a lot of strife in my life, yeah. trying to prove trying to prove something. And I don't have to do that. Do you feel that because you've been so successful that you still have something to prove, though? I don't feel the need to prove. To, uh, I'm, I'm really past that. I, yeah. I don't care if I ever get another award again. I really mean that. Um, do I believe my best days are ahead? Yes. I, I'm a blessed man. But to, but for a guy at sixty years old, he's I back can't on the pop you're chart. Sixty, you literally don't I, I look am. sixty. I have, you got to be honest about it. You it feels look weird. Like you should be in your it, late forties. It feels weird to say that, right? Because I remember when I was like thirty and forty, and I would uh-huh. think people who were sixty and going, "Oh my gosh, those guys are old." <laughs> and then I see people. Sometimes I see people who I graduated with. <laughs> Whoa, you know, and and, yes. I, and I see other people that are sixty, you know. But I I'm, I don't need to brag about that. I don't know what it is. Maybe it's genes. It's maybe it's, you know, you know I eat right. I take care of myself. I work out. You know, I'm staying active. Yeah, if I wasn't right. active, it might be a different scenario here. Right. Um, is anybody that you might challenge to do this podcast that has a really extraordinary faith journey? Jim Caviezel. Oh, Jim Caviezel. He's who good, you're also friends with. Yes. I also saw. I really, friend. honestly, I have a confession. I've been snooping around the house. <laughs> you, you have been snooping around the, around the home. <laughs> just a little teeny bit. Oh. Okay. Yeah. Um, you have to sing us off. Something. Friends are friends forever. If the Lord's the Lord of them. And a friend will not say never. I'm singing a lot lower now. Because the welcome will not end. Though it's hard to let you go. In the Father's hands we know. That a lifetime's not too long to live as friends. Pull out your Kleenex. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Michael. You're Lee welcome. Smith. It's Thank been a you. Pleasure. Thank Same you. here. Thank you. 
That concludes another episode of Journeys of Faith. Thank you so much for listening. If you haven't subscribed, we would love if you did. And if you could give us a rating, that'd be a bonus. Big thanks to the team here at ABC Radio, Susie Liu, Lewis Millman, Mike Dubusky, Joyce Alcantara, Brianna Montalvo, Sean Griffin, Josh Cohan, and Andrew Kalb. I'm Paula Ferris, and we'll see you next week on Journeys of Faith.